Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur Show. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs, or you can find us in the other four shows we do on Spotify, or should I say the other three shows, four total. You can look at my last name again. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. We are on Spotify. We are on anywhere else you grow yourself through podcasts. And with that being said, I have Greg back with us from Third Wave Cafe out of Melbourne, Australia. How are you doing today, Greg? Good, good, Justin. Thanks for having me on. And just out of curiosity, because I haven't looked in quite a while, and I don't travel internationally like I used to uh, for quite some time now, at least since COVID. Um, I haven't even been out of the country except Mexico. Uh, what it, uh, what it, what time of day is it there right now that we're recording? I know it's about seven p.m. here. What time is it there? It's morning. It's nine nine a.m. Nine a.m. on a Friday, and we're recording on Thursday night. So it's crazy to me. You guys are like a you're in the future. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'd say you guys are in the future. We're just we're just following behind. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's part of that. Um, so Greg, I love you know this is our second episode together. I appreciate you coming back on the show. You're part of like the lead that we're trying to go back. And get some more exposure internationally with the show. Uh, we are in 137 countries now, um, and I've said this before on the show. Like we're now in Iran and Syria, and, and downloading quite rapidly. Which is, you know, if it's spreading freedom and entrepreneurship in those countries that have such, what lack of a better term, um, lack of human rights. Um, I think it's awesome, and I think entrepreneur spirit is part of, you know, getting financial freedom and the independence to build our legacies um, freely. So really cool um all of it's really cool i really enjoyed our last episode i actually listened to it again today um i was trying to take a nap between things because like I'm, my schedule is crazy and for the audience to know like we're filming a bunch of stuff end of july in nashville we are doing an event there for gorilla brave for networking for all the food entrepreneurs in nashville it's a free event mm-hmm. at pins mechanical But we're actually moving forward with a pilot and getting some screen tests done and starting to film the episodes in Nashville. And just just to give everyone reference, again, Fitopia is an international food show. If everything goes according to plan, it'll be 18 seasons over 12 years across the world, cities across the world, mapping food, telling the story of food through the eyes of entrepreneurs from the farm to the consumers. And so this is a big deal. Obviously, Melbourne is on that over the next... Um, 18 seasons or 12 years. So, you know, we're starting to get into that. And on the podcast, one of the reasons that the podcast went from video at a time, we used to do some video, um, not great because I was still working on it, but we kind of halted it because I decided that I'd save the video for TV ultimately. And I know the marketing advertising benefits of it, but I'm a whole gusto, man. I go all in. I'm not just going to go all into one thing. I'm going to really make an impact uh, with the TV show, hopefully, and my partners there. So, just want to let everyone know that, give a little bit of a shameless plug for myself and what we're working on there, but also the international food thing, the international entrepreneur, the in- entrepreneurial ingenuity that goes on around the world. And Greg, you've got a phenomenal product um, and your reviews. And as I've done research for, uh, on you guys today, even more than, than normal because it is a second episode, so I really dig in as you guys start becoming regulars on the show and i feel our friendship is growing uh because you've taken the time and and we're sort of collaborating to do this and my interest obviously goes up because you have interest in us in doing the show 
and I appreciate you like a lot. I appreciate what you're doing for creating jobs in the world and spreading positivity and, and doing what you do, but you have one hell of an Instagram site. Like it is so impressive. 101,000 followers today as we speak on the day that Threads is sort of launched within 24 hours. So this is also the day that Threads has taken over social media. So everyone's aware. And, um, you know, I have, I made the leap this time. I didn't wait. Normally I hesitate to get into it, but I'm like, it's same Instagram. It's got Facebook behind it. I do like Twitter, although I don't use it. I'm an Instagram person and, and I use Facebook, but now Threads, I'm like, okay, I'm going to dive into this. But your social media, and I'm, we'll get into your story and stuff, but your social media and the content, the food that you're producing, the the engagement with your audience over social media is just incredible. Your response to people. It's one of the things I, I, I've read about it and see people talking about is your responses. Like you respond to people. You actually engage in them with them. And I think that that's so key as well. So we'll dive into that in that episode. We don't have to start off there. But I just want to anchor that with the audience that it's so impressive to see food get such glory um, online because food entrepreneurs have always been such the back end and food has always looked so down upon like a lower industry and you know employees don't ever want to work in food and it's a hard life it is no shit it's a really hard life for the entrepreneur and for the employees or the team members so when I see success like this when I see it get the attention when I see the popularity I'm rooting for every entrepreneur out there honestly we need more of it we need more glory we need more people to take pride in the businesses they work for and the food that's going on so I'm done talking, I promise, guys. Greg, I know everyone can go back and listen to your first episode. I will put a link in the notes, guys, so you know what episode that is. What inspired you to get into food? Why food? Like, sort of, what was your background beforehand? And let's briefly touch upon it a little bit. But how'd you get into food, and how'd you get into Third Wave Cafe? All right, well, um, actually, I... Uh, got into food by accident. Um, it wasn't something that I uh, strived to do or knew anything about. I've never been in hospitality prior to getting into hospitality. It was a situation where I was um, I had another uh, another business that uh, ended, and I had nothing to do. And my wife said that she would like to open a cafe, and I said, "Why not? I, I've been to lots of cafes. Don't know how they work, but." Uh, I know I know what they do right and wrong from the front end, from being the customer. I also have a good idea of how to acquire customers. So I said, let's do it. And um, little did I know that this was a very, very complex thing to get into, but worked through it and now fully, uh, fully committed to it and have grown that little cafe from something that's really small to employing 35 to 40 people. <laughs> That's crazy. So, so I that's, mean, that's yeah. Go ahead. Yep. Go on. No, no. So that's how you got into it. So I'm just. It's so crazy because I can't imagine just jumping in the food the way you have. You have a lot of success. I mean, let's just talk about what were the hardest lessons. Like, are the things that you learned the most, like getting into food versus where you had been before? Okay, so yeah, it was it was a complete shock to me how hospitality industry was operating compared to, let's say, an average office-based business uh, where people sit behind computers and and and, and sell sell things or uh, 
analyze things, etc. It was just um, the 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 systems were lacking. The attitude of people was lacking. The uh, the way uh, the way people approach careers in hospitality was completely different. Especially in Australia, it, it it's all in temporary in nature, which was very unusual to me. And because it's temporary, uh, people don't care as much because there there were there were always lots of opportunities in hospitality and they would jump from one to another most of the workers in front of house were students and students are doing it just to earn a little bit more more money and if they don't earn a little bit more money here they can earn a little bit more money there so there was just a care factor was way way lower than everything that I've ever been used to um, and back of house, the the kitchens. Well, we all know that uh, chefs are uh, uh, a little bit different to to the average person um, uh, in the majority. I'm, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm that's one way of putting it. Yeah, they're they're they're. Special. I'm generalizing here. Yeah. Um, well, we we need them, and uh, and it's a hard <laughs> job, and and uh, and you need to be a particular type of personality to go into that job. Um, and it looks like that personality is over time. So yeah, it was just it just it was all a really big shock uh, to me when I when I got into this business. I like this, um, and I and I agree with you. There isn't, and I want to go into detail a little bit because I think this is an important topic. There's just not the interest in to attention to detail. I feel like in hospitality and food, even though there should be more attention to detail. One, because the jobs are transient. Like you said, it's like a lot of students, a lot of uh, humans, it's a stepping stone to something greater. Or if they do get in the hospitality, they generally, you know, if it's long-term, the, they're long-term employees, but they're not always the um, same employees that are working hard in a business outside of it, uh, for lack of a better term. I think it depends on the population. It depends on what part of the world you're in and what cities and what influences and how you recruit your employees. But I do agree in general, there's more of mm, a lack of purpose for lack of a better term. Like people don't take purpose in it like they do in careers the same way. And uh, the nine to five, it can be tough. You're on your feet all the time. And you have to deal with clients and customers, and even though you learn customer service skills like at a rapid rate, um, just team members or employees aren't always wanting to get into food. I, it's a weird thing. I don't know how it is in Australia, but it's very hard right now in the United States to find and keep uh, good humans in food service, whether it's a grocery store, whether it's fast food, whether it's a restaurant. You really have to be on top of your game to do it. Is it similar there? Are a lot of individuals not coming into the food service space or hospitality space? Yeah. Well, absolutely. That's uh, uh, the we've always always had issue with hiring, um, and the issue has become extremely acute now. Um, uh, it is uh, so for for the last two or three years. Um, you know, we would place an ad, and we would get. 10 applicants and out of those 10 applicants no one would even return your phone call um so uh, and this is both front of house or back of house and this this lasted for about for about two years so really to uh, overcome that our business we um we have an admin department even though we're a restaurant and 
restaurants don't necessarily need that. Uh, we do because there's no other way to really continuously look for staff because that's what we have to do and spend a huge amount of effort in looking for uh, for for staff. And we've never stopped advertising really in the last three years. Uh, we've been running an ad every single month for both front and back of house. Um, uh, trying to find uh, good people to to work with us because we've decided that hiring inadequate uh, inadequate people um, is no longer an option because it just doesn't work. We're finding that uh, hiring just somebody who can fog up a mirror uh, will not uh, will not add any value to to our business and probably subtract value from the rest of the team and probably from our customers. So yeah, you're right. Uh, uh, but there, there has been a change in uh, in Australia, and I think there's been a change in America as well. In that, hospitality used to be a reasonably low-paid type uh, type job, and it is not no longer that. So, um, hospitality wages have gone up, maybe fifty to a hundred percent in the last uh, in the last three years. So we're not talking about three percent, five percent, ten percent. Fifty to a hundred percent is is the increase in hospitality wages. So now you can uh, you can work in hospitality and earn reasonably good money, whether you are in front of house or back of house. Um, uh, uh, and this this is brand new, and this never actually happened before. And are people being attracted to it because of the better wages? Because I um, just because I ask in the United States, a lot of states have started pushing up our minimum wage rates to catch up with like food inflation, mm-hmm. which in the United States, and I know a lot of people don't see this because we just deal with it, but our food has gone up almost 250% since 2020, the beginning of COVID. And like, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with we sold off a lot of our farms and our food systems to foreign countries or foreign entities or foreign companies, foreign banks, and so or investment banks, however you look at it, that are now want to profit significantly, not just a little bit, and get by. So a lot of it has to do with that. A lot of it has to do with getting control of industries and raising prices. So the restaurants are able to come somewhat charge more, um, but also what's gone along with it is now we have to get the humans to be able to afford the food and the lower income jobs like in hospitality they weren't getting paid enough to even buy groceries let alone put roof over their heads based on the increase in inflation that's gone on in the united states particularly around food in the united states it's funny we don't calculate food as part of our inflation so while food's gone through the roof it doesn't actually reflect in our percentages as a thing so no one actually takes into account that it is increasing at a rate and our jobs and the amount of money we're paying our employees especially at minimum wage and food service even before tips and those businesses because we do tip here uh it's uh it's not enough like and that's why employees won't go there you can't work a job and make enough money to put a roof over your head anymore without that increase so i'm glad they're doing that but it still begs the question of this you talked about which i love it's always be hiring no matter what, it doesn't even matter if you hire today, always be hiring and in interviewing individuals because you need to always be trying to find the best that's out there. And if you're not looking, you can't find it, right? It's like, you know, we talk about being an entrepreneur and people wanting to be an entrepreneur, but if you never take the leap, you're never going to be one. So you have to constantly mm-hmm. be seeking it. You have to constantly be seeking the employees and trying to find them. If you never actually put an ad out there, or you're never constantly hiring, you're never going to have that open door and be really good at hiring individuals you need the practice i feel like do the reps uh, for lack of a better term so what kind of core values 
or like morals and ethics are you looking for when you're hiring? I mean, talk to me about your hiring process because, I mean, you have a great site. You're obviously popular. You're probably driving a lot of traffic to you through the advertising and marketing you guys do. And by traffic, I mean customers. How are you hiring employees and making sure they're not going to harm you, your business, or your uh, customers? Well, um, we're, we're now beginning to boil it down to a, a few very simple practices that uh, sound common sense, but we didn't really think about them in this manner uh, over the last uh, number of years. So um, in hospitality in Australia, it's a practice to have a, a, a basic interview first, whether by phone or in person, from most likely by phone and then get them to do a physical trial where they come in and actually do the work for an hour or two. So not not a long time, but just a little bit because really what we're finding is that what people say and what people write on their resumes, 99% of the time does not reflect what people do. And that's not 90% of the time, that's not 80% of the time, it's 99% of the time. So the only way to validate uh, if they are uh, if if they can do what they say they can do, and also if they can be a good fit for the rest of the team, is to get them into this, into the place, and to get them to do something. Um, and that's both front of house and back of house. It's uh, it, it's the same principle. So we have a brief uh, brief interview. We we filter filter people out through their resume. Then we have a brief interview. If the interview goes well and we're all on the same page, uh, we invite them for a short trial. They will then do one or two hours of short trial during which we try to give them a specific tasks to do. So we've particularly got a checklist of we would like uh, the the trialee to do uh, the following 10 items. And that's what we get everybody to do. So we standardize as much as we can. Um, and uh, and after that, we can see whether this person is, uh, is potentially a good fit. But primarily what we're looking for, if it's front of house, uh, and and the people said that they have experience. We're looking for the person being able to find themselves their own work to do, because we find that people who have experience they will always find something to do because there's always something to do, even if they don't know the the place, even if they haven't been told this is what what happens, because. What happens in every hospitality venue is the same thing that happens in every other hospitality venue. So uh, from a front, front of house perspective, if a person is uh, is good at their job and they've done this before, they will know immediately there are certain things that need to be done. They'll just go and do it, whether they're told to do it or not. Um, in the back of house, what we're finding, that the two, two major requirements we have is speed and uh, and understanding requirements. So in other words, understanding what's required because if, if they don't, they will not never be able to produce consistent food. And unfortunately, what we're finding is that most people are not able to reproduce a recipe if their life depends on it, even though they're supposedly professional chefs who've been doing this for a decade or two. Um, so one of the simplest things we ask them to do is to produce a, a basic recipe, let's say a burger, and we're finding that we're able to eliminate somewhere about 50 to 80% of people based on that simple request. Yeah, this is interesting so to me. So that's, that's really what we do. Um, and, uh, and we have to go through... Uh, a lot of trials. To give you an idea, during the months of April, we uh, we were looking for chefs. We had, uh, just these are the stats, we had 325 applications uh, from chefs. We were able to contact about 
35 to 40 of them because the rest just didn't return the the phone calls. So out of those uh, 35 uh, phone interviews, we had 15 15 trials and we were able to hire zero people out of all of that. So over 300 applicants to zero hires. And uh, you can imagine the amount of effort it took on our part to go through all of that and process it and do the trials. Um, And yeah, every single person failed our basic <laughs> basic requirements of being fast and consistent and understand how to rep, uh, replicate recipes. Yeah, no, sorry, Justin. So I, I was just, just to conclude, uh, unfortunately, the quality of personnel that is currently trying to find a job in hospitality, whether front of house or back of house, is such that we are not able to give them work. It's just crazy to me that how... Um unsuited our youth is um i don't know maybe it was the same when i was growing up but we don't train anyone on on basic courtesy or skills or the parents don't i don't know what where ultimately i believe education is the responsibility of the parents yet we turn it over to someone someone else in the school system should be a complement to the parenting but we don't do that so that's one and i will tell you that that comes full force uh, in the food business because we lack a lot of those common skills or decency skills or just doing the right thing or knowing their way around. The other thing I will say, uh, which you brought up, which I think is key, is uh, the dishonesty, um, almost like fudging their resume to get a job, but then they come in and they can't perform. Uh, instead of being honest and admitting where you are and asking for training and growth, and which is more attractive than whether or not you know the skill. To me, anyway, I want to know that you're willing to learn. I want to know that you're willing to grow. I want to know that you can adapt. You know, I don't need you to be everything that I need. I need you to be a person that can grow, at least for me. And in the United States, we live in such a dishonesty culture where everyone wants to be right. Everyone cares more about being right than doing the right thing. And people are willing to lie on their resumes no matter what kind of job it is. And there's so much of it here. It's kind of shocking. But we don't check facts anymore and people don't care about being truthful so um and they don't see it as a moral and ethical obligation and i'll just tell you why it all starts with our parents or the parenting when we're like oh tell bobby that you and i have a dentist appointment or you know you don't want to go to school today just tell me you have a dentist appointment well we're telling the kids to lie so we expect them not to pick up on those habits or heaven forbid they grow up in rough households where they're having to lie to cover up what's going on in their household and then that becomes their safety net so now lying becomes the very thing for their survival, their safety, and support because the parents are not providing a safe and productive and growth type of environment to grow up in. So not to dive in the weeds there, but I do find that as well. And, um, you know, it's interesting because once you go through the trials and tribulations and you get through that, what we call here a probationary period, we do a probationary period before they were ever hired full-time, like, can you make it? Do your skills say what they do? It's great to do an interview, and it's great that you can do well in an interview, but can you actually perform under pressure? Can you handle the job? Do you know your way around a kitchen? Are you willing to learn your way around a kitchen? So there's a lot of that, I find, as well. It sounds like same for you, uh, Greg, in your experience. So, um, so Greg, like I've got to imagine that during COVID – Um, and what happened in Melbourne. We've talked a little bit about it, so I want to dive into this because I know you guys were on complete shutdown. It's one of the biggest shutdowns in the world from my understanding of a city. 
How did you deal with employees getting them during that time? How did you deal with what was going on in COVID and what was going on in Melbourne? I know everyone had to be vaccinated there. We talked about that. But what did, you know, what was that like? How did you find people in when now people are even scared to go outside? How do you keep your business going in that time? And what did you do? How did you pivot? Like, because you're still around and you're booming now, 101,000 followers, like we talked about on Instagram. So you came out blazing. How did you survive such a dark period? Well, we uh, um, we had to reinvent the business completely. So whatever the business model we were operating prior to COVID, we had to shut it down. It wasn't uh, viable anymore because we couldn't have people in the restaurant. Um, and we had to reinvent uh, reinvent how our business can operate such that we can keep our, our staff. So um, through COVID, we were one of very few uh, restaurants. We did not lose a single back of house um, member. Uh, everyone continued working. We obviously uh, could not employ uh, about 70% of our front of house because um, just they were they, they couldn't do their job but for 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 our, our kitchen staff for our chefs we uh we completely pivoted uh what we did we pivoted into two directions um we made our dark kitchen a, a much bigger enterprise so many more brands so that we we can we can widen uh widen our reach but also we've uh started an e-commerce uh, e-commerce business where we we started selling um, inexpensive reheated home meals um, at between sort of three and seven dollars per per meal, and we sold um, hundreds of thousands of dollars of this product over the two years that we've been um, we've been locked down, and we've also extended into. Um, delivered uh, reheated home uh, boxes, larger larger meals. Where this is uh, for Melbourne, Melbourne only. Where we would um, uh, we would basically create a whole logistics exercise where people people would order uh, reheated home boxes on on weekends, and we would deliver a few hundred boxes uh, in in one in one Saturday across across Melbourne, and we repeated that. Uh, over and over, months in, months out. So, really, to to answer the question is, we had to completely change what we did, um, uh, create a more logistically heavy uh, business to be able to to operate it. Had to have uh, multiple drivers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and uh, in e-commerce uh, side, with uh, a product that we've never never used to provide, which we did over the COVID time. So, I mean. Um you created a business. Are you still in the, uh, I think you called it hot box, but the reheatable food direct to consumer business, are you guys still in that business after COVID has sort of come and gone? So uh, the, the, uh, the inexpensive reheated home meals, no. The, the demand for, for that has dropped off significantly as soon as, as soon as people were actually able to leave their homes. Um, so we're not, we're not doing that. We are still doing small elements of e-commerce e- 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 um, and we are planning on actually building that out some some more in into the future um, and uh, we've been always running dark kitchens um, from from our restaurants we, in fact we were one of the pioneers in Australia uh, doing that and we continue doing that and it's still uh, it's still working reasonably well but um, 
and was was doing sort of um, home packs that uh, that uh, we deliver directly to customers for for reheating. Um, we do those a few times a year. So for Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas, so events, um, we end up uh, we end up doing it because they're they're reasonably good sellers. Um, but to give you an idea of sort of quantities of of these during COVID uh, on Father's Day, we sold 430 430 uh, packs, um, basically barbecue packs that people can actually reheat at home. Um, uh, you know that that was like tens of thousands of dollars of sales that we had to deliver in uh, in one day. Uh, so this was this was all delivered in uh, in a four hour period. So you can imagine a logistical nightmare. And this is across Melbourne, and Melbourne uh, geographically is one of the biggest cities on the planet. Yeah, it's crazy because. Like the dark kitchens for anyone else out there in the United States, we either call them ghost kitchens or, um, wow, uh, virtual kitchens or virtual dining. I forget the other term. I'm going blank here. But, you mm-hmm. know, and I think you pioneering it was big for you. So I have a question. Like, what are some of those? Because you're an American food restaurant, basically. You do a lot of American burgers and ribs and barbecue. So... How did you, I mean, because that's your main business, I, you know, and, and what you're doing, but how'd you come up with dark kitchens? How'd you come up with menus and concepts and what are some of them? Um, well, it, it was it was driven primarily by um, efficiency in reusing the same ingredients, right? So uh, the way uh, virtual, and we, we started calling it virtual restaurants before the concept of dark kitchen was was even around. Um, we started doing that in 2014, maybe. We were, we were really one of the first in Australia to actually do it. I don't know about America. Um, so uh, the idea was that we've got a certain set of ingredients uh, that we can use. We're already making it for our primary business. So how can we effectively repackage those ingredients, still make the food tasty, but in a, in a different cuisine? So then the question is, which cuisines are... Uh, suit that sort of thinking um so the the cuisine that suited that kind of thinking in our case was mexican because we can reuse the same proteins for example in a burrito as we as we do when we serve serve american barbecue so we can make a a brisket burrito we can make a chicken uh, smoked chicken burrito etc the same for quesadillas same for tacos um very similar thinking uh worked with uh, a, a greek sovlaki so um, in America, I don't think you have the concept of savlaki. You have a, a, a gyro or a gyro, um, but basically it's a it's a it's a wrap. It's an open wrap. Um, uh, and uh, again, we've got a menu of uh, of different savlakis that that is Greek, but w- the the protein that's being used in it is the same that we uh, slow smoke for our main restaurant. Um, same works for what we call uh, kebabs in Australia. Again, you guys have a different concept for this. In fact, you may not have a concept for this, but it's it's very similar to Savlaki, just uh, slightly uh, proteins could be the same, but uh, slightly different fillings. Same concept for uh, healthy bowls. So what what they are is basically you've got uh, rice or quinoa or something else as a base, and then uh, they're topped up with protein and and some veggies. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. So you see where I'm going with this. It's we, the way we 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 think about it is repackaging the ingredient uh, into a different cuisine, without necessarily changing the ingredient, and also the new branding, uh, new concept, et cetera. Um, so we have about 
nine of those now, um, maybe 10. I keep lose, losing, uh, uh, the, forgetting the number. Uh, we're ju just about to release two more. And again, the concept is the same. So one of them, uh, one of them is a sandwich brand. And again, we're going to be repackaging what our normal ingredients are, but in a sandwich form. And one more is a toasted sandwich, which is a little bit different, so a toasty. Again, we can uh, we can use uh, same proteins and most of the same ingredients that we have, uh, and create really tasty toasties out of that. This is awesome, and I agree. Like it's almost like what we call in the United States a Chinese food menu, where you can make a thousand different things out of the same hundred ingredients. And mm -hmm. uh, and I definitely experienced it in healthcare and restaurants and food trucks and all that, as well as how do we make as many different menu items as we can you know a chicken grilled chicken is grilled chicken is grilled chicken and all we have to do is make different sauces and we have peruvian food and we make a different sauce we have you know chinese food we have a different sauce we have thai food we have a different sauce we have american food and so you know there's a lot of being able to tweak that stuff and all the same ingredients often make the same sauces just depends on how the ingredients come together uh, to make those sauces. And I don't mean same as in flavor. I just mean that there's a lot of common ingredients across the sauces there, across the items, the proteins, the vegetables, um, you know, peppers and onions go a long way across a lot of different menus, same with rice. And so mm -hmm. it's just one of those things and potatoes for that matter, you know, and mm -hmm. you can have breakfast and you can use the proteins for breakfast. All you do is add eggs, which is a low cost addition and stuff like that. So I totally love this. And I think you guys, really caught on to something there and, and your success and stuff like that. Does, let me ask a question just out of curiosity. Does any of these dark kitchens ever have items that are so popular to direct to consumer that um, are through the delivery that you're like, oh my gosh, this is a really popular item. We need to put it on the restaurant uh, menu that we have for the sit down customers. Have it, has it influenced any of your main menu at all? Just out of curiosity. No. Never, never. They're they're always they're um, all the all, all, so all the virtual restaurants they they uh, sell much less product than our main restaurant by by a huge margin. So uh, it's all it's always going from restaurant to them, not from them to the restaurant. So there's only one, one direction of flow here, um, because we pro and probably our fault because we spend a lot more time thinking about what to create for the restaurant than we think about what to, what to create for the virtual virtual restaurants. The way we see virtual restaurants, we don't necessarily see them as a standalone play for us. It is it is there to support the uh, the cost of our prep kitchen, and the prep kitchen primarily uh, operates for the for the restaurant. But if I can cover that cost by having uh, having a bunch of virtual restaurants, why not? Then the cost of the prep, prep kitchen is nothing. Yeah, I agree with that um, as well. And I, you know, I, I do agree with making sure you keep everything separate and you let those sub brands or those sub dark kitchens have their own menus and, and own them. And then same with the, uh, with the main business, but just because you don't want to confuse it and you want to make sure you're gaining customers and clients around each brand, not sort of, I know cross pollination is a thing, but it doesn't work so well in food. Um, when you do stuff like this, people get loyal to a certain thing just because they like Mexican food doesn't mean they like barbecue food, for example. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about you personally. Um, the things that 
you know, your core values, the things that really inspire you, that keep you going, like sort of the character that you feel an entrepreneur should have, for example, um, or the entrepreneurs that are out there, like you run a very good business. You're a very good businessman and entrepreneur. You guys have pivoted and you've had hard knocks. Like what would you say are some of the things, the qualities that you have or, or that you've seen in other entrepreneurs or business people that give you the ability to have longevity in your business? Look, I'm not sure if I can talk about myself um, well, um, but I can tell you what some of the things that that, uh, that I was told by, by others who observed uh, what I do in the business from, from outside. And I think that sort of resonated with me um, as to uh, as to what makes uh, makes it work is, is that I approach uh, approach business as a problem solving exercise. It's a never ending problem and it's a never ending problem solving exercise. And if the quicker you're able to self solve problems, the more problems you're able to solve, the more successful your business is going to be. Um, and the the way to do that is definitely never ever to get into a state of overwhelm because when you're in overwhelm you are not able to solve any problems for for yourself or for anybody else so what i was told is that i'm i'm somehow able to get above the overwhelm uh and and just dig into a problem no matter how complex no matter how urgent um no matter how dire it is and just work out a solution and once that's done others just feel um, relief and just go ahead with that business. So, and, and, that, and that's, that's true because even though I do get nervous and I do get tired, uh, I, I don't necessarily show it, but also I just get over it and, and move on and start, start doing work and start looking at, um, at all problems from every angle I can to find a solution that other people may not, may not be apparent for other people or e easily accessible. Yeah, I get that. Um, the overwhelming thing for sure and the anxiety that it produces, I think it is an Achilles heel for a lot of business people. And if that consumes them, it almost puts you in a position of desperation. Weirdly, even though you may not be desperate or your business may not be desperate, but desperation is bad for business. People can feel that energy. People are scared, especially when you're overwhelmed and you are maybe seeking relief. Even if you realize it or not, you're wearing those emotions. And it's very hard in business to... Um, to stop that once you do that momentum. If you get overwhelmed and you're constantly overwhelmed and this desperation to not be overwhelmed starts uh, coming out, people almost feel there's a desperation for your business that it's not doing well, even though it may be doing well and you're just overwhelmed. So I just want to anchor that with everyone. Perception and the way we give out energy and the way we handle things as leaders is contagious, big time. And it can be misinterpreted and people can feel the energy and think that maybe the business is not doing well and it's a desperation for money. So I just want to anchor that for everyone. We've talked about it on another episode recently, but it is true. I've experienced it and seen it. The other thing I want to say about being overwhelmed in my experience is if I've got to stop, I've got to break everything down into pieces, and I've got to start doing tasks to knock out things because being overwhelmed means that I just have, I feel I have more tasks than I can handle. I have more things that I need to get done than I can handle. Okay, well, maybe we can't handle everything, but if I'm overwhelmed and handling zero of them, and if I'm handling maybe one or two of them, but I'm handling them badly because I'm overwhelmed, it's not going to work. I need to break it down, 
one thing at a time, one step at a time, one task at a time, one small win at a time, and then I start building momentum and I start getting the mental toughness and the ability to not be overwhelmed anymore. That's my experience. And there it comes in waves for me. There are times that I'm majorly overwhelmed by things in business or life. And all it is is taking a pause, like picking my head up, assessing the situation, living in the feeling of overwhelmed for a second and realizing that it is painful and it is emotionally distressful, but it's telling me something. It's telling me that I have a lot going on and that I'm not handling it structurally and that I need to reorganize. I need to go back to the basics and I need to break down everything into small tasks where I can start winning my way through it and just chiseling away at the things that are overwhelming. Okay, And maybe in some cases, it's that I need to train or spend more time training the individuals in my business or the individuals around me or my business partners so they can take on more and they can start stacking their small wins as well. Okay, Because I find that when someone else is getting overwhelmed, a business partner, a client even, a vendor even, or anyone that's working for me, that if I break down everything into small tasks and I contribute to them in that way and give them a little bit of a roadmap, everyone seems to calm down, you know, because I think what happens also in overwhelmness is insanity. And it's just crazy, which by insanity, I mean, doing the same thing over and 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 over again, but expecting a different result. It's just not going to happen. Never ever in the history of man is that ever happen. Okay, you doing the same thing means you're usually going to get the same result. The people around you don't change, the business doesn't change, the outcomes are always going to be the same. And the last thing I will say to get rid of the overwhelmingness is I don't attach myself. I, I've let go of attachment to the outcome, to the money, to the trophies. It's a lot about doing the right thing, being financially responsible for myself and the individuals around me, and living modestly. Okay. And I know that, you know, as entrepreneurs and stuff, and believe me, I, I enjoy myself, but I've learned to not let outside things overwhelm me or the worry of material things overwhelm me when I'm running a business because they can. We can end up consuming so many things or being so um, involved in image and perception that we don't, that that can overwhelm us when we really should just be breaking down life into small tasks, into small wins every day and just accomplishing those. And the rest is this there for us to enjoy. So there's a lot of that as well. Don't worry about the outcome just do the task. The outcome will come by stacking up the wins. And maybe we don't know exactly what it looks like, but we don't need to. We just need to know that we're ultimately going to win by learning and doing the task. So I I agree with you 100% on that one. Okay. Thank you. Um, Greg, um, like, is there anything you wanted to add to that or any of those core values or skills that maybe we didn't cover there that I sort of, because I jumped into the conversation there, is there more you wanted to add? Uh, look, the, the only other one is uh, I have a certain belief uh, about business and uh, that belief basically drives ultimately everything I do. Um, and that is that um, finding customers to spend money with you in your business is really the most important by a mile thing that uh, any business owner should be thinking about nonstop. So, and it's pretty, it's very much contrary to what most other people think about their business. Most people think about their, um, uh, their systems, their products, their, the quality of their service. They think about everything other than necessarily finding customers and finding customers becomes a, an aspect they think about, but it is not the main aspect. I believe that is it's, 
almost the only aspect that you need to think about. Why? Because, and I'm not saying you should do this, but in, a, in an event where you have a really, really, really bad product or really, really bad service or a combination of the two, and you are absolutely the best at finding customers, you are still going to have a thriving business. It may not be a completely sustainable business over 10 years, but it'll be a thriving business over somebody who has the best product in the world with the best service in the world who doesn't pay attention to marketing and finding customers. Um, and, and this is very contrary to everything that I hear all gurus talk about, right? Everyone is talking about, all right, you need to get your systems right, you need to get your product right, you need to get your service right. And if you get all this right, you're going to get customers. And that is simply not true. Um, you will get customers only if you're going to get going to going to go out and get customers. That's the only way you're going to get customers. You will not get customers just because your product is right. You might get lucky and you might uh, you might uh, strike a chord with your customers with a particular product that you have, a service or a combination, but that's lucky. You can't really rely on luck. You can rely on your effort uh, on actually getting customers. So that's something that uh, I, would, I would welcome a debate on. I'm happy to debate that, but this is how I think about uh, business where priority number one through to nine is getting customers and priority 10 is everything else. I agree with you. And, and I agree with you like a lot because a lot of people think that they just put something on social media and stuff like that. But you, you've got to go, you, one, you've got to retain them once you get them. But two, you've got to go find them. So, I mean, talk to me a little bit about this, Greg, because I think you guys do such an excellent job of this is going to get the customers. Like, you know, before, you know, you've gotten to where you are in the reputation and 101,000 followers, how did you go out gaining customers? How did you spread the word of your business? Well, okay. So um, uh, in line in line with that thinking, right, uh, initially, um, and this is something that we're still, still doing, and this is something that we've been doing now for now a decade plus, is... Uh, you need to sort of understand what the customer uh, people's motivations are and why they would come come to you over somebody else. Because in hospitality, the competition is probably greater than in most other industries out there. So why why choose you as opposed to as opposed to someone else? And it's not necessarily about your product. So then the question is uh, marketing. What what are the what are the basics of marketing and and how how can you utilize the resources you have in marketing to um, uh, to to get customers in. So one of the ways to do it, and this is uh, this is something we've done before and we'll continue to do it, is to understand the lifetime value of a, of a, of a client. Um, and the lifetime value of a client is is essentially um, how much profit or how much uh, how much sales will you make to the same customer over a period of time that they they stay your your customer. So let's say if a restaurant um, uh, has uh, has a new customer, will that person come back over a period of three or four years? And then the question is how often they'll come back and how much money they'll spend every time. That'll give you, that formula will give you the lifetime value of a customer, which would mean that once you understand that, you don't have to think about their first transaction and that is the only money that you're going to extract from that customer. And I use extract in a in a technical term it is not, it is not there to put down anybody so what that means for example and, and again this is this is something that most businesses don't seem to follow or understand very well is that when you when you are advertising uh, and you spend a certain amount of money on advertising to get a customer in the doors 
your return on your investment is calculated usually based on that expenditure by the customer on that instance, uh, that, that visit, which is incorrect because you know that the customer is actually going to come back and therefore there was more, more for you. So the, the way to think about it is this, that if a lifetime value of a customer is, let's say, $1,000, let's just say, I'm going to throw round numbers into the air. Um, and let's say, if you know that it's $1,000 and you know that your profit on that customer, let's say, is $350, again, just round, round numbers, uh, sim simple numbers, then you know that you can spend up to $350 on acquiring that customer and you will not be losing money. Not necessarily on day one, but over the lifetime of the client. Most businesses have no idea of this, and therefore they try to spend the least amount of money they can on customer acquisition without really understanding that what they're doing is shooting themselves in the foot. So how do we turn that around? To give you an example, we, uh, we have a program where we give away free birthday vouchers for a dinner or, or lunch valued at um, let's convert it to US dollars at about 50 to 60 US dollars. So this is free. This is available to anybody with almost no strings attached. The only strings attached are that they have to be um, uh, local to to Victorian, to state of Victoria and they have to be over 18 and they have to bring one more person with them. We're not saying they have to have a minimum spend. We don't, I hate, I hate conditions. Um, whenever you get vouchers, I hate those conditions. So I create the least amount of conditions possible. So what does that do? Effectively, we lose... Um, a sale of about 50 to 60 US dollars every every single time that person comes in. So on the surface, it's a stupid thing to do because we, we lose a lot of money. We, we, um, we gave out about 30,000 of these and continue to, to give out about 150 a week, um, if not more, probably more, uh, more than that. Uh, so, uh, and therefore we've given out hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, if not millions, um, of free dinners um, to, to people. So on the surface, it sounds like it's a, it's, it's a huge cost to the business. But this is how it, bre this is how it actually breaks down. Um, once, uh, once someone has our birthday voucher, it is much, much more likely that they're going to come and uh, celebrate, either celebrate their entire birthday or come in anyway for their birthday because they have to come in around the time of their birthday uh, into the restaurant they're going to get their food for free. Um, they're going to bring a customer and uh, somebody else with them. So that somebody else is going to spend approximately enough money that the, the birthday giveaway is actually going to be covered. So we may not be making any profit on it, but we're going to cover the cost. So we actually don't lose any money whatsoever. So the way to think about it is we just gave away free 50 to $60 worth of food but we actually didn't lose any money. But what actually in reality happens is this. Not only do we not lose money, we actually make money on that first transaction because these people might buy some drinks, but also they may not bring one person. They might bring a group of 10. They might bring a group of four. They might bring a group of 15 because the birthday person wanted to celebrate their birthday and they brought their, their entire group of friends and family to celebrate their birthday and they got their food for free, absolutely, but everybody else paid uh, paid for their food. So we actually end up making a lot of money on giving away a lot of money. Okay. Completely counterintuitive. But the only reason we do that is because we understand the lifetime value of a client. But you know what else we get, which is probably as valuable as the actual, the actual transaction is we get a database. So I don't know, um, 
how well you know databases for restaurants, but we've got almost 100,000 people on our email database from various initiatives we, we do. Oh, uh, and, That's and, awesome. And part of that is this birthday giveaway, right? So we can now communicate to 100,000 people anytime we like. And out of those 100,000, about 50,000 or 40,000, we have their mobile number. Um, so, uh, and, and that's all driven simply, and this is just one initiative that we, that we undertake and we, we do others. Uh, this is all driven by a very simple concept that um, you can actually make money by giving away free product. Uh, and the only reason you would give away free product is because there is a strategy of how you're able to um, to cover the cost of that free product and uh, get additional uh, additional sales um, uh, e down the track through lifetime value of a client. Well, and one of the things that I think that most individuals don't realize in food is it's a lot to be profitable and make money and then go spend it on marketing and advertising, okay? But it's not a lot of money to spend to actually produce food for people. One, you're training your staff. Two, you're, the, the, you're celebrating your customers and your clients by celebrating their birthday. It's not like you're giving away a sale and people are waiting for the next sale. No, this is something earned. You get once a year on your birthday. That's it, right? And you get to celebrate it with someone so the other person gets to enjoy it and see it too. So possibly if it's your birthday, one time you get to enjoy the meal. If it's someone else's birthday that you took last time, you get to enjoy two free meals a year. But I agree with you, the marketing and advertising and the word of mouth that it does and actually getting the food in individuals' mouth so they can flavor it, so they can experience the customer service, so they can experience the restaurant or the business is huge and it's evaluable and losing food cost and employee labor is nothing compared to losing good money if it's a bad marketing thing and that money's gone forever there's no recovering it and the percentage of success is always so slim compared to what you're doing which is we produce food we have good service we want people to come experience what we do we want to build a relationship with them so getting them in the store building that relationship through having them break bread in your restaurant and enjoy the food is the best way to market and it encourages what the number one marketing tool which is word of mouth i am more likely to buy something from someone when they tell me about it than i am from an advertisement on tv if my friend recommends it it's like the the percentage is ridiculous i'm more likely to go try that than oh i saw taco bell for example they have this new fiery taco uh, i want it but i'm not really pushing it but if i had a friend being like dude I went there the other night. They gave me a free taco for my birthday. I got one of these fiery tacos. It was insane. I'm going to probably go get there and try it, you know? And so I think that that's what we're talking about. Humans validate things for us. They give us comfort. They give us safety. They make us want to try things. And that's what this is doing. And I think it's phenomenal marketing and advertising. Phenomenal. Uh, too many people give away too much. Too many people um, try to do too much and do sales and do specials and do crazy things. And while all those things are important and they drive people into the store, nothing's as important as celebrating something with someone. You know, I've seen some of the upscale fresh restaurants in the United States do this for a person's anniversary or their wedding date. They prove their wedding date, marriage certificate. Um, they get free anniversary dinner forever. You know, and it's crazy because a lot of these people will go back, they take business clients there, they do things like that and bring people into the business and they end up spending more than the 60 or $70, whatever it is on it. Because by the time you get wine and alcohol and you're having a good time, now you're ordering dessert. And so they end up spending a little bit of money there on top of it, at least in my experience.
And I think that that's key. And now they feel like they're getting a deal. They feel like you appreciate them. They feel like part of the family because they're coming there to celebrate a life event with you, really. And food is about that, guys. Food is about celebration. Food's about enjoyment. Food's about breaking bread. It's hard in a lot of places. Some people are starving and malnutrition. And so food's a little more valuable in that way. But at the end of the day, we still all come together for survival, for support, for social interaction around food. Uh, so this is awesome. I love this, uh, Greg. So The other, the other way to think about it, Justin, just, a, just a, another point is um, if you're going to be spending money on advertising or, or, and marketing, the best money that you can spend is directly on your clients, right? So you've got a choice. You can either run ads and give lots of money to Facebook and Facebook's got enough money. They probably don't need any, any more of your money. Um, I would rather take that money and give it directly to my clients. Um, it, that that, uh, that money is going to be appreciated way more than Facebook will appreciate your money. I agree with you. And I, I think that's, um, you know, I don't know the exact term, but it, I've heard someone use the term like uh, beneficial marketing for your customers, you know, versus so what they call. Yeah, the beneficial marketing for your customers. I think it's like one of those things where you're actually benefiting the customers. It's not a blanket spam. It's not a, a trying to grab anyone out of the universe that you don't even know. Like it's the validation thing. It's the giving back to them. It's it's investing in the people who are investing in you, which I think is true human connection. Like even if it's monetary and transactional, in this case, you're investing in one another. You're investing in them, and they're now investing in you by coming there and enjoying it and being a part of your business, and ultimately probably becoming a loyal customer. So, you know, there's there's a lot of that. Um, you know, and. Absolutely. You know, as- absolutely. Um, Go ahead. No, no absolutely. So, uh, basically, what, what what actually happens is that there is uh, a rapport, a trust that's built that you didn't need to strive for because what uh, what happened is that we don't uh, we don't provide uh, the product that's any different to every other product. If you paid for it or if you got it for free as as uh, as part of your birthday, it's basically the same. It's not basically; it's exactly the same thing. Um, so, uh, so people are just blown away by by what they got because this has never happened to them before in in their in in their entire life, um, and they they now trust you. And, and fair enough, uh, and and we trust them because they they've uh, taken a shot on us and, and and came in, and they trust us because we've given them exactly what they expected. And most of the time, it's actually not exactly what they expected. They expected a lot less. We gave we gave them a lot more than they expected. Yeah, I love it. Um, let's you know as we start wrapping up here. I mean. What I mean, if you could, you know, pick a few things, a few things that you're doing in business right now or or things that have made you successful or things that I don't know that you feel that all food entrepreneurs should know in the world. Like, what are some of those things that you you think the world should know? I mean, you have a lot of experiences. You didn't come from food. So you have a totally amazing outside perspective looking in, I feel like. And now you're you're having success in it, major success in growing these businesses in dark kitchens. If you could give anyone advice out there or or anchor some things uh, for the audience, what would that be, Greg? All right. Um, okay. So uh, I, I would say number one advice over and above anything else is increase your price um, because uh, you can't do a lot if you don't have any money to do it with. 
right? And if you are if you are just just uh, surviving because your your prices are wrong, then you're doing yourself a disservice and probably your customers as well. Um, uh, that's uh, why it's number one advice is because it's the simplest thing to implement. You can literally go every single every single business can literally get this done in, a, in the next ten minutes uh, and it'll be done. And there's no effort involved whatsoever. Um, and 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 uh, in most uh, in most cases their life will change because through that simple, tiny little change, um, businesses that were unprofitable will become profitable, and businesses that were a little bit profitable will become significantly profitable. Which they and with with those additional funds they can do whatever they like, either feed their family or maybe spend some more money on marketing and and start that cycle of uh, increased increased sales. So that's that's one. The other the other advice that I would uh, I would suggest is um, start some sort of a, a promotion where you are giving away something for free with the understanding that that free giveaway is ultimately going to give you uh, give you a return uh, either immediately or very sh uh, short time down the track. So this uh, uh, free Thursday. Uh, Free birthday voucher concept I've just mentioned is an example of that. It doesn't have to be that we we have give, given away um, burgers before, uh, etc. The 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 main concept here is that the strategy is that you want on average to be making money immediately on giving the product away, and as a back end, you want to also build your database so that you can increase your communication with your with your customers. Um, and then, and then finally, I would uh, I would strongly recommend for all businesses to invest effort. It doesn't have to be necessarily money, but certainly effort in their social media presence. This is not a quick thing. It's a long term thing. It's a long term commitment, but it's a commitment that ultimately pays off because uh, if you're able to if you're able to accumulate a following on social media, that following ultimately will be more likely to come to you to to buy your product than if you didn't have a following. The problem is everybody thinks that it's a, that they can do this overnight. You cannot. Um, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, but long-term that effort does pay off. Amazing. I love it. Thank you, Greg. Where can they find you guys online? Where can they look you up? Um, you know, what's your, your website and, uh, who are the people you do you deliver all your own dark kitchen stuff or is there delivery services there in Australia that you guys use? So that's a lot of questions there. Social media website, what's the address of your restaurant? Um, and then again, um, how do they sort of find all this stuff about you guys and vouchers and get deliveries as well for your dark kitchens? Well, look, you, you can find out everything about us through third wave cafe.com.au. So third T H I R D just spell it out. Thirdwavecafe.com.au. Um, Third Wave Cafe is a social uh, um, uh, name. So if you go to Facebook or uh, or Instagram, um, TikTok's got Third Wave Melbourne. Um, so yeah, we, we, uh, we've got 300,000, 350,000 followers on Facebook and just under 300,000 on TikTok and just over 100,000 on Insta. Um, so, uh, and all, all the things we do is on the website, uh, including we just started franchising. So that, that's, a, that's a next step in our, in our journey. We'll see how that, uh, that transpires. It's, it's quite interesting. Um, and uh, in, in regard to uh, 
So you you mentioned you mentioned socials, uh, dark dark kitchens. Well, look, dark kitchens uh, are done directly and through Uber Eats and DoorDash. So these are these are platforms that you guys have in America. Um, so we are on every platform out there, uh, including including buying directly directly through us. Uh, and the the drivers that we use, uh, uh, we're piggybacking on DoorDash drivers because they have a service here in Australia, and I think the same in America with Uber, Uber Eats that you can plug into uh, into the API, um, and they'll send their driver even though the order did not come through their platform. Yeah, that's a, that's a really cool thing. I agree with you on that, um, Greg. I talked a lot. Um, we covered a lot today. I'm. Definitely going to keep up with you, continue to tell your story, eventually get into a part three for sure. I need to come to Australia and Melbourne and try your food for sure. The Instagram is ridiculous, and I'm trying to figure out a trip there, uh, obviously, and trying <laughs> to do Foodtopia there as well in some episodes and hopefully have you guys on that show as well because I think what you're doing is incredible, and you're an incredible human and entrepreneur for sure. Is there anything coming into this episode that maybe – based on the questions I send you, the prep questions, or anything that you had in mind that you wanted to share that maybe we didn't cover today, because it is your episode, and I want to make sure that I give you the time to cover anything that you want to cover as well, or anything that you think might help. And I already sort of asked that question, so I know I'm being a little repetitive here, but I just want to make sure I, for lack of a better term, dot my I's and cross my T's. No worries. Look, uh, there was there was one question um, that caught my uh, my eye, and that was that, that question was in regard to the um, the values in the business. Not my personal values, but uh, the business values. Th yeah, these absolutely. days, it's a it's a popular thing to do for businesses to talk about their their values, their reason for being, all of, all of that. And I again, uh, the contrarian me sort of stands up and starts um, challenging a lot of. A lot of what's what's being being said out there. People go, people start businesses because they want to help others, because they want to help the planet, because they want to this, they want to that, they want to this, they want to that. And uh, some of them don't sound genuine. Some of them don't sound achievable. Some of them uh, sound like they made it up just to have a value. Um, it just yeah, it's just a, a lot of a lot of stuff out there. And I don't I don't mean everybody, but a lot of what I hear. Uh, I I've been thinking about what what. Uh, values uh, that I would like to what I'd like to follow and really the one primary one is I would like all the staff members that work for us I would like a business to be able to provide enough profit that my staff members are going to be the highest paid in doing what they do in the world that's it that's the only value that I want to create because then it's a it's a constant win-win for everybody involved because the business is doing well enough that uh, I am able to pay my staff so much that is more than anybody else gets paid. Nobody loses here. I agree with you on that. I think that that's a major core value is making sure those dreams are big enough so all the dreams of your employees fit in there. But that comes with being able to give your employees financial freedom to, again, to build their legacies, to build their future, to build their families. Um, and enjoy their jobs and know that if they work hard and they become the best in their industry, they're also getting paid what it takes to be the best um, in that core value. So I agree with that a lot. I think that not enough uh, individuals share with that or have that mindset. And I think in and of itself, your, your core value is very holistic in taking care of the humans. And why me saying monetary to anyone listening in, the core values that come out of that are significant. You're obviously trying to do the right thing. 
you're trying to go the extra mile for yourself and for your employees so they have a good life and that you're a hard worker. You know, you guys have great work ethic and your your team obviously has great work ethic and is hardworking comparatively because what you guys are producing, the, the number of kitchens that you guys have, the dark kitchens, the businesses that you've been able to go in and out of, a lot of food, restaurants, food trucks, you name it, have never been able to pivot the way you guys do, have been able to be maneuverable the way you guys are. So one of the things I think that's great about you too is you guys are constantly growing, like you're seeking growth constantly. So, you know, if I were just an outsider looking in, I'd be like, okay, what were the some of the core values? I agree with the first one, but I also see underlying in all of that some of these things that make you such a strong leader and your business such a strong business and profitable business um, because it does take the workers. It does take high quality food. It does take marketing and advertising at a very smart level to run a business. And, and I agree, the core values aren't going to make you win or lose, guys. At the end of the day, you still have to run a business. You still have to have business acclimate. You still got to make sure that you're spending your money wisely because even if you have the best intentions in the world or you have the best purpose in the world or the best core values, that doesn't mean you're going to be profitable and you're going to win. It just doesn't mean that. So, and in fact, I would say if you concentrate too heavily on the core values, you lose also because you're not concentrating on the profitability and the training and everything else that goes along with it. So, um, thank you, Greg. I appreciate you coming, you know, joining us all the way from Melbourne. It's pretty awesome. I love these episodes. I really love talking to you. You were on a very similar level and I see things very similar to the way that you do. And your composure is just an ability to deliver uh, and communicate, uh, deliver your words and communicate your vision and articulate how you're feeling in your business and what you guys are doing is just phenomenal. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on here. Well, uh, thanks for all the praise. I don't think I deserve it, but thank you nevertheless. And absolutely, thanks for um, uh, you know this conversation because uh, it sounds it sounds like you 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 fully uh, fully understand what we're trying to say and uh, agree with uh, with most of it, which is which is really good to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, everyone in the audience, thank you guys for listening in. Please share the episode. If you're a fan or a customer of Third Wave and you're listening to this, give it five stars. Give it some good reviews. We live in an algorithm-based society, guys. Sorry, that's the way social media works. That's the way the podcast works. That's the way the internet works. And the more you guys share it and the more you support these entrepreneurs for spreading their message and share it with other entrepreneurs who may need to hear it, the better the episodes do the better the restaurants or the food businesses for the entrepreneurs or beverage businesses for the entrepreneurs who come on the show do. And it spreads goodness, guys. A lot of these messages for entrepreneurs, particularly in food, we get so heavy into food because it's a tangible good that we're very involved in and we often feel alone, even though there's tons of us, more food entrepreneurs than any other entrepreneur ever in the history of ever across the world, you know, mom and pops to, to businesses to whatever, we exist, uh, food entrepreneurs, and you're not alone. So we need to learn from each other. And while it's hyper competitive, as Greg brought up, it's also hyper collaborative. So, you know, I just want everyone to think about that. There's a lot of collaboration going on out there in the world. There's a lot of restaurants and businesses and food entrepreneurs helping one another on a greater level, just like we're doing with this show. So, seek them out. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to get out of yourself. Just like you weren't afraid to start a business and take that leap. Don't be afraid to start networking and build a group of peers and mentors and, um, 
And by mentors, I mean people of equal where information is exchanged evenly. A coach would be someone who's of higher that you want and want what they have. And then you're trying to model it and learn from them. But a mentor is someone mostly of equal that you're learning from each other. At least that's how I see it. Um, because that's what a true relationship is. How can I grow you and you can grow me? Ultimately, I think that's the point of it. Even if there is a coaching scenario, we often grow our coaches and they often grow us. And in my experience, if I'm a coach and I'm coaching someone in business or in personal development, I'm growing just as much as they are, honestly, um, a lot of the time and learning from them like they're learning from me. So thank you again, Greg. Thank you, everyone in the audience. I love you guys. You can find me on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. You can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. And if you type in my last name again, B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O, you can find any of the four shows we do, again, on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. So thank you for everyone for listening in, and we're out.